Welcome to the EverSaline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Today, we delve into the critical role that senior level commitment plays in developing a sustainable continuous improvement culture within an organisation. It's often overlooked or misunderstood, leading to hesitancy, resistance and unrealistic objectives. To help us understand this better, we're joined today by Richard Whitehouse. Richard brings a wealth of experience to today's conversation. He spent over 20 years operating in senior level positions across a variety of industries, including manufacturing, power generation and automotive and aerospace spaces. Most recently, Richard served as a Director of Operations at Handicare, where he was responsible for the UK operation of manufacturing, quality and logistics. At Handicare, Richard applied a heavy focus on lead time reduction and process improvement, which proved critical to the company's success. With Richard's vast experience in continuous improvement, we're excited to hear his insights on the importance of senior level commitment in fostering a sustainable continuous improvement culture. But that's not all, as also today we are joined by the wonderful Emily Viano. Emily is a lean Six Sigma and change master who has worked with household names such as Costa, BT and Nestle in the continuous improvement space. Emily current heads the membership sales and marketing at the British Quality Foundation, the BQF, an independent not-for-profit organisation that provides support to organisations through various performance improvement products and services, including awards, certification, conferences, networking opportunities and training workshops. Exciting fact for you, the BQF has a patron, and that patron is none other than the Princess Royal herself, making them a formidable force in the continuous improvement world. So stay with us as we uncover more about the work that the BQF do and the significance of senior level commitment in fostering a sustainable continuous improvement culture. Richard and Emily, welcome to the Eversaline podcast. Hello. Thank you very much. So let's kick off by finding out a little bit about what drew you into continuous improvement. Richard, starting with you, how did you end up in that space? Um, I'm from a kind of a mixed bag family. My, uh, my father was a design engineer. Um, my mum was a market trader, um, so I had to choose one option. Uh, I went engineering way through university, all that kind of stuff. Always going to be the guy sitting behind a drawing board, inventing things, sat in a drawing office and discovered on the second week I hated it. I just wanted to be back out amongst people again. So the, the market trader genes win. <laughs> and I ended up uh, joining what was then called the Just-In-Time Improvement Group. It was run by GEC, part of their graduate trainee things. And I ended up working for them. And we were just inventing some uh, single-piece flow cells for making electric motors. And it was just really exciting stuff because everything you did, you could see an instant effect. 
effect and there's because you can see the old stuff going on right next to it and the new particular supercell coming to life outstripping everything else it was just fantastic you know it's just great and you're, you're affecting people's lives and making everybody's work easier and and the pace just huge compared to what was gone before so instead of like six weeks to get a, a thing through the system it was now two days wow so it's just you know, astonishing stuff. And it was like, wow, this is what I want to do. I, I like it. Brilliant. There's always that first project that everybody remembers mm. that lures them in and hooks you in. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. It really is. Emily, same question to you. What lured you into continuous improvement? So um, I, I'm never really quite sure what I wanted to do with my life. When I was when I was a child, I went through all this uh, wanting to be um, you know, interior designer. Um, I wanted to be an author, all these sort of grandiose things that I wanted to do. But but actually what I was good at was not so much the arts and, and um, that, those kind of things, but I was quite good at the math and the sciences and uh, I found those slightly easier because you have to put less effort in. So I decided to, to go off and study engineering. And before I did that, I went and did something called Year in Industry, which is a, a brilliant scheme, which essentially takes young engineers or potential engineers that are going off to study um, and puts them in a, an engineering environment for a year to get some work experience before they go. And I ended up being allocated to a tractor wheel manufacturer in Telford. Um, and, and when you say tractor wheels, it wasn't the tyres. It was just the inner, the metal bits of the of the of the tractor wheels really kind of what nowadays uh, probably you'd find quite a shocking environment so I was the only woman um, in, in the factory there was a hut across the road with um, some HR and, and marketing ladies in that I uh, that I never really had much contact with and it was all men there was it was in the days where people were less worried about explicit content um, so all the all the various trades uh, calendars would come through and it would all be semi-clad women um, and you didn't even dare go in the maintenance offices because um yeah <laughs> that was where the real explicit <laughs> stuff was but I, I absolutely loved my time there and I had a colleague who used to talk to me about things like SMED and uh, Six Sigma and general continuous improvement and I, I think he he wasn't in any way an expert in it but he'd read a lot about it and was quite excited by it and I really caught the bug off him and I just loved going around and looking for for ways to improve and, and things to improve during my time there I then went off to study aeronautics, which I didn't really like, wasn't really my thing. Fluid dynamics are really boring. And so I, I went back in my all my holidays, I went back into manufacturing and spent time doing uh, various different companies. I, I did some time doing bits on uh, aircraft. I did some time, um, actually did one random one where I was working on in, in a nursery looking at waste, green waste. Again, so I, I tried to do really practical things in, in my time and, and I really caught the bug for this sort of continuous improvement way of working. So after university, I went straight into a continuous improvement role where I got to jet around um, different companies within Nestle and, and do improvement projects, uh, which I absolutely loved. And I, I've been very lucky that I've been in the right place at the right time for, for a lot of things. So with Nestle, I was there as they were developing their Nestle Continuous Excellence program, which is brilliant. I, I moved to BT as they were just rolling out lean across BT. So I've just been really lucky to be in at the sort of design stage of, of a lot of these big programs. It's incredible. I love listening to people's backgrounds and, and how they get to where they are. It's always like with the best intent, you have this map of your career when you're younger, but it never ends up like that, does it? You always end up going off in different directions. Yeah, 100% agree with that. 100%. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I always think actually now I, I would probably recommend my kids do apprenticeships rather than going and doing degrees, especially with the costs of doing degrees now. I, I think actually learning on the job and learning whether you like it and getting paid to get a qualification is has got to be the way to go. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for it. 
Yeah, it's the best education, I always think. Learn by doing. Mm. The very first words my uh, father said to me after my graduation was, okay, now you can start to learn. Yeah, he's a wise man. It's very true. Absolutely. A serious topic for us then, senior stakeholder commitment. It's something that I think gets overlooked quite a lot, but it's so important. So what actually is senior stakeholder commitment? Richard, fill us in. Well, uh, I think first, it's it's probably easy to say what it isn't. It isn't a bunch of people standing in a room saying, we're committed to this and doing a group photo and saying, yay, we're all, we're all in for it. It's much more a long-term commitment than that. It's, it's first of all, the senior team need to understand exactly what it is that they're, they're committing to. And they've got to treat it as something that is for we're in it for the long term, that there will be steps that go wrong. There will be things that go um, don't come out exactly as you expect it to be. And it's a bit harder to measure than your standard KPIs. So they need to show up. So it's being present, being able to walk around the, the, the workplace, whether it be a factory or an office, wherever the lean's being implemented. And they need to learn to see and give that instant feedback to people. Yes, that's great what you did yesterday. It's fantastic and, and support for that. But equally create a safe space so people can fail because they will try stuff that just doesn't work straight away or maybe won't work at all in that particular application. But you've got to give the people that you've hired and that you said you're going to trust, you've got to give them the trust to actually get on and do the thing which is a brave thing to do. That most senior person is actually making a very brave step to do it. And it can't just be something that's a, a quick in and out. And for Lord's sake, I, I hate the thing where it suddenly appears in the budget or the, the corporate statement that says, yeah, we're, we're doing lean now. And we did a project that saved this much. We're going to do 10 projects next year. So we're going to save 10 times as much. It's not true. <laughs> you know, and don't put that, that pressure on people. It feels like a bit like the old only fools and horses thing, you know, this time next year we'll be millionaires. It's... <laughs> Happens a lot though, doesn't it? It does. And and it's it's not necessarily obvious things that you gain benefits on straight away. I remember some years ago we moved a factory put into space actually that's been generated by lots of lean projects compressing occupied areas. And when we put that business in, we suddenly saw, without any planning, a huge uplift in the quality of, of what was going on. The reason being, because everybody had been taught uh, a set of procedures that says this is the standard work, this is how you do it, and everybody did it that way because they knew no differently, it suddenly went much better. So, you know, sometimes you get these dividends that just happen. But it's, for me, that the whole thing about the, the senior stakeholder commitment is giving the people who do the job the space to actually work on the job as well as in it and let them see the ways to, to get it better and help them out with giving them whatever the tool is that they need to work with at that particular time. Don't just go, here's a bunch of names of tools, let's just throw them in and, and get on with it because it just gets very lumpy very quickly. How do you deal with it? If, if you're, you know, if someone's listening now and they're, you know, they are, as you say, about to do lean or they're adopting a continuous improvement culture in their organisation, how do they influence the senior leaders to not go down that road of, you know, we want a corporate statement of we're going to save X million this year? How do you change that mindset? It's quite a challenge. It, it is. And I, I think one of the things to do is to get into the what's the actual corporate strategy for the business what's the thing we're trying to do and usually within that there's a there's a thing to to fasten on so it might be we want to give better customer service you know, it's okay what does that mean and the answer might well be let's say it's 
on time delivery. So, okay, so we need to work on the, the lead time through the business uh, and make sure when we've picked something up, it goes all the way through. So there might be particular tools and projects that are going to apply for that. And I think then it's about getting those senior leaders to understand that the KPIs that would, would be used for that particular thing. For example, I had a case where really what I needed to do was work on the, the unevenness, the, the mirror of the system, so that it was operating more regularly and consistently. But that's a bit too abstract, I think, for it necessarily to be understood. So initially then looked at doing things like TPM to create more uptime of the equipment. So with that uptime being better, we could then have the better customer service because the kit was working better all the time. And you could do the deliveries more easily when you needed them. I, I was really like, there's a, there's a nice quote from Taichi Ono, which is that the shop floor is a reflection of the management and people in, in teams will emulate their managers and they will behave in the same way because uh, it's, um, the, the feeding of the management machine, isn't it? It's we, we try and please our, our bosses because that's where our pain comes from. So it's that senior leadership engagement is so, so, so important. We see this all the time with, with some of our members where there's some really good stuff going on. They're trying to implement some brilliant changes, but uh, at the end of the day, it gets sidelined because they haven't got the engagement from their senior leadership and uh, it, it sort of the business as usual takes over. Yeah, so I always think that CI is a little bit like alternative medicine and continuous improvement because you need to take a bit of a leap of faith and you need to believe in it for it for it to work. If you don't believe in it, you don't put your full effort into it. And if you don't put your full effort into it, it, it won't work. Um, so you've got the sort of feedback loop that, that um, the more effort and energy you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. And that's where the senior leadership are so important in setting that time and that, that space. Um, as Richard said, it's, it's about being visible. It's about giving people the, the opportunity to fail totally echo all of those all of those sentiments and that has got to come from the senior leadership they have got to be uh, able to take the risk of, of giving their people control and if they're not willing to do that it becomes very very hard to do lean in isolation if you're you're butting up against the, the sort of senior management level who who don't want to do it and are afraid to do it the other real thing that the senior leadership can do is is help teams work together. So you, you want everyone playing in position. And if you have the, the kind of organisation where you're very siloed and people don't want to work together or there's sort of he healthy competition, which isn't always that healthy, quite quite often that's very detrimental. And, and the senior leaderships should be supporting and coaching their, their direct reports to work together as a, as a value stream rather than working in this kind of siloed way that, that quite often we have done or, or quite often we do do. So it's it's setting the framework and, and the backdrop against which lean can be done effectively. I think sometimes as well, it's good to give the, the senior leaders something that's a bit like with the shop floor, because the, the shop floor, we've always say when, when, you, when you're doing lean, people talk about saying, get a few quick wins in. Um, so that the people in the, the factory or the workspace can see things getting better around them and then they become more motivated to join in. The same thing applies to the, the most senior people, whereas sometimes the, the quick win you want to give them might be about some personal opinion that they have about this particular issue, the, the thing that's always rated on them that they want to see fixed. So sometimes it might not be the 
the thing that you actually need to work on most. But if they can see something that used to be a continual pain to them get better, then you start getting a lot more support as well. So I think that helps win them around. And then as, as Emily says, a huge chunk of this is an article of faith that once things start to happen, um, you build that positive culture up that says, okay, we can do things, we can make things better. Let's trust our teams to, to find the right way to do it and to make it better. I think that's really important. I go for the uh, the gym analogy that when you start going after two or three weeks, don't expect to have a six pack and be able to run marathons. You know, it's it's a constant chunk of effort that has to go in. But after a few months, you will notice you're not getting out of breath running up and down stairs and your clothes feel a bit more loose or, you know, and things start to feel better. It's just a, it is that article of faith that says you've got to keep going for those first few periods till you start to see some of the benefits come out. And I think once you've given even the most senior people a few of their quick wins, everyone gets on board and, and the whole process starts to become this, this inertia of improvement itself. Yeah, I think you're spot on. The quick wins piece always works. I, I think quite often we forget about the senior level of management or, or that sticky middle layer of management we forget about. So we do a lot of support and coaching at a very senior level. We do a lot of coaching at the frontline level and, and we forget about all the managers in the middle. And actually we're asking them to work really differently. Quite often we ask them to be coaches. We ask them to support their teams. We ask them to work in value streams, but we give them very little support to do that. We, we just sort of expect, we think, oh, they're managers, they should know. And, and we quite often forget them and actually it's having some structure of, of how you're going to intervene at every level is, is really important when you're trying to do a, a cultural deployment of lean and, and actually having some kind of so, so one of the roles I worked in and we actually went to this level of giving all the senior managers scripts so this is how we want you to talk to your team uh, this is the kind of questions you need to be asking and we almost gave them like verbatim what we wanted them to do to, to try and support them and help them. I think that's right the people in the middle as well sometimes you might be overturning years of the way they were doing something which can be embarrassing for them in front of their teams so you've got to be sympathetic to that and help them uh, to help themselves in effect but you do find when you've got people of that position on board and 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 fully fledged on on the right side of the line as it were their improvement starts to accelerate quite dramatically because they can see the the positive that comes back from the most senior people when those uh, middle management layers start going back and saying oh did you know today we fixed that so this now does that and then everybody starts to feel a lot more optimistic and positive because there's there's good news stuff coming out and that's where I think it's important to get the most senior team to understand some of the detail of what's going on rather than just how many orders did we ship today there's there's a layer beneath that of how easy was it to ship those orders today which is the stuff that the the managers and supervisors uh, levels will feel more than anything else yeah absolutely so how about if it's the other way around? What if you're in an organisation where the CEO level, the exec level, don't know anything about continuous improvement? You're working in the field. You're seeing these opportunities. You've heard about continuous improvement. Perhaps you've even got some qualifications in, in continuous improvement. And you think, do you know what? I want to get this in. How do you go about overcoming a resistance or a hesitation that you see at the exec level to get them to really buy into the process? So I know about the quick wins, but what if they're reluctant to even let you go and have a go at getting the quick wins how do you get them to see the value that's a real challenge it is yes 
it is and sometimes it depends how brave that layer of management is in the case of one of the examples from my past we had a production facility uh, making many many things of a huge production line um, electric motors they were actually and we freed up some cash flow by reducing some inventory generated some cash for ourselves and started setting up a small production facility like a mini duplicate of the, of the giant one just for one particular range of electric motors and we chose it because it was the smallest volume that was going on but relatively high value so it wasn't much risk but there's a big upside if you get it right. Essentially, we put this in, moved a bunch of machines over at a weekend and ran it on the following Monday morning and had achieved all the orders that you're supposed to achieve for that week by about Wednesday because everything just ran very, very smoothly compared to what it was, essentially because all the processes and operations were next to each other. And we, we deliberately did cheat a bit and put some the best people around it and things like that. <laughs> the point was, it then went in the following, you know, at the end of this week, and you could say to people, look at that, there's that result, this is what we were before. It's worth a go, isn't it? And I think that that created quite a few waves, and then it became the opposite issue of, oh, can we have everything like that by next week? You know, so it's like, oh, no. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it's, but there's there's a lot of support then for the for the process to go onwards. But it was a it was a gutsy get it wrong, and you're probably not going to be working there anymore. Move, <laughs> but it was worth the shot. I think in this day and age as well, it's a little bit easier now because you can always refer to YouTube, great stuff on Google to really help people understand continuous improvement. And and because of that, most people do have a you know a very basic understanding at least. One of the videos that I love to show people when they're they're relatively new to the subject is that I love Lucy yeah, Skip. We, we use that in training. Oh, the chocolates. <laughs> Oh, do you? With the chocolates mm. coming down the conveyor belt. Because everybody can familiarise themselves with that. Everyone can look at that and go, yeah, that's what we do. We just try and get through as, and, and sort of roll our sleeves up. It's it's a great way of explaining it. I just wanted to pick up on, on Richard's point about this. Uh, I mean, the model you often see is that you have some kind of pilot and it goes, you know, it goes really well and it's uh, there's lots of focus on it. And I think there's a real danger point with CI deployments where it, it suddenly becomes a bigger thing because quite often, we'll, you know, you get exactly that someone says let's roll it out everywhere and suddenly you you're doing it on a much with a much fewer resources much less sort of oversight because you're trying to do it on a much much wider scale and that's where i've seen also programs go wrong because suddenly it's just got too big too unwieldy it loses a bit of the magic and then suddenly we start putting targets around it and cost cutting this and cost cutting that and, and suddenly it becomes a program rather than what it, what it's meant to do which is a, a cultural deployment so that's a real danger point as well and when we're talking about senior leadership engagement that that's a bit I think that has to be managed very carefully that transition and, and quite often it isn't because they just say brilliant let's copy paste and it, and it doesn't work like that so that's uh, yeah always one uh, one to watch is that kind of period I think in, in the expansion Oh, you're exactly right, because um, the side effect of what we just did was we screwed up our own internal supply chain because you've got a, a factory and a very large machine shop trying to support one cell that's demanding service and new parts to it every couple of days versus a big economic batch quantities for the rest of the beast. So that caused huge problems. So you've already mentioned SMED. So we had to do a lot of that and, and get the foundations back right of the business uh, to move forwards again. So I think we'd sort of built ourselves enough credibility to 
sort of get away with that one but you're absolutely right if, if you do that uh, and get it wrong you can lose all the credibility for it and, and continuous improvement becomes one of those things that well we tried it once and it doesn't work for yeah. us yeah, absolutely. The other thing I think is worth thinking about as well with obviously the senior stakeholder engagement is really important. And I think one of the things that you, you want to persuade them to do is to build CI into the fabric of, of the way we do things from a, from a structural point of view. So things like looking at how we target people uh, is, is one of my bugbears. So if we're targeting people to make widgets, they're not going to try and do continuous improvement because they're just focusing on the widgets all the time. So how can we look at the way we, we target people, end of year reviews and performance cycles? Uh, I mean, in an ideal world, you'd probably get get rid of that annual cycle anyway because it's um, fairly disruptive. But within that framework, can we at least make it more more lean uh, and drive some of that learning culture that we're looking for? Then that's quite a difficult thing to do as well, but but really important. Those sort of reinforcement strategies, the reward and recognition, all, all that kind of good stuff that you really want those senior leaders to be doing. It's funny, isn't it? One of the hardest things to actually crack is the, the, the most senior people trying to do things like get the month end. So pulling orders forward at the end of the, the month from the from the following month is to try and make particular month end or that year end look as good as they can. Yeah. Completely messing up the whole business in so doing and starving the next month when you come back and problems all over the place. And it's such a hard habit to defeat with them for that because it's all about getting them to think much longer term and stop that that, that sort of snatching at the at the business continuously. Yeah. Uh, uh, particularly from us uh, working with sales teams, we used to get a lot of this where they sort of batch everything up and chuck it over the fence at the end of the month so they they hit their sales target and it's so disruptive in the operational side then afterwards see in the service industry it's it's sort of even probably you can't see it uh, as visually and, and it's all hidden inside of emails and things but it's a real you know you get sort of real panic and then you have overtime and all this kind of thing when you're struggling to to hit all those orders are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognise your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes and future plans. Whether you utilise Lean, Six Sigma, project management or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together. 13-time single prize winner, Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves? Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey.
That leads us very nicely, actually, Emily, into the visibility and reporting piece. So once you've got the the senior leaders to understand that this is a cultural piece, not a programme piece, how frequently should we be giving them visibility of progress? And 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 what does that look like? That's a really hard question to answer because, you know, it's it's a bit like how long is a piece of of string? I I think it really depends on the speed at which you're going, how you've set yourself up to have you set yourself up as a, as a program in which case there's probably a lot more governance around what, what you're doing if you're doing it more by sort of osmosis and allowing allowing people to to go more slowly you, you'd want a different reporting cycle uh, and it's also what you're trying to get out of it culturally and from a sort of cost saving point of view so every company will have slightly different metrics that they want to measure it on I think the most personally the, the most successful implementation that I have, have seen was in a, a, an organisation I worked for where the top management from day one said this isn't about cost cutting we believe that if we do this the cost savings will come and actually what they had was they they looked at our process so they had something called a gate process each factory uh, it was at factories initially each factory was asked to go through this gate process uh, and they could do it in their own time but obviously they would get asked questions if there there was no progress happening you would get asked questions but actually there was a sort of a one-off measure which is can you get through this gate process which is about having your basics in place your performance boards there was a whole bit around leadership development in there as well that you needed to do to go through the gate process so there's a lot of uh, sort of that went into that and it was very well structured and defined but there wasn't any sort of regular tracking of it and that was very effective because you were giving people the targets and allowing them to work their, their way through them I personally think a lot of reporting is waste um, <laughs> so so the reporting on the lean is is somehow sort of a little bit ironic but yeah I'm, I'm probably more radical than than other people in that regard is that I, I think you should uh, you should you should be following your business metrics and seeing the improvement through the business metrics rather than reporting on the on the lean progress per se. No, I agree with that, and I think the way I've done it in the past as well is to literally take them by the hand and walk into the factory and say, "You want to report? Go and look at the SQCD boards, see the the improvements that are actually happening live, because those aren't there or shouldn't be pretty PowerPoint slides. They should be working documents that people who are in that environment are updating because it's useful to them and that new." will see the the business changing it's also about i think getting some different kind of kpis given some more higher profile and it it depends on on the particular things you're working on but it it could be on time in full it might be the time taken per units compared to tacked time so not just how long is it as a whole but how long is it compared to what it should be in terms of what the customer needs you know what what are change over times how are they improving is the percentage downtime getting better first pass yield going up you know it, it depends on the particular thing that's being worked upon but I think getting everybody to understand and speak in those KPIs which are the forward-looking measures and you start to see well okay that will show up in the accounts um, because how can it not I think those are really powerful the one I always have a slight hesitation about is actually OEE I sometimes resist putting that in quite until later in the programs before the senior teams understand what they're looking at because when you get an OEE percentage that says this is only 65% um, that can trigger a whole set of behaviors that you really don't want if they don't if they don't understand it properly you know 
Richard, you mentioned OEE there. For, for those listening that is, is very new to this, what is OEE? Because it's probably a term they hear banded around quite a lot when they look in this space. OEE is the, it's a, it's a formula uh, made up of an availability and a performance and a quality number. So if something has 90% quality, so 90% of what comes off it is good and its performance is 90%, so it's running at 90% of whatever its perceived maximum is and it runs 90% of the time for availability, your grand total number is the three multiplied together so you're talking about early 70 percent in that case so it can give a very bad impression of something and trigger a lot of responses that that might not be helpful for the most senior of people because it can trigger so many alarm bells you know paying a lot of money for this machine but it's only working 70 percent of the time it's just a statement of what it is right now and then we have to work on the various pieces whichever the right one is to make it better so that's why i'm a little bit wary of using it without proper understanding yeah, there's always a tendency to try and use complicated tools or to try and do things. It's like your analogy of the gym is superb. It's like going to the gym and, and trying to deadlift the heaviest weight in there on day one. You're not ready for that yet. You need to work your way through because if you want this to sustain, you need it to become the culture. So often that I've worked in organisations where it's been very much led by an individual or a group of people and then one of those people leave or the entire team leaves and, and it doesn't sustain because it's not been built into the day-to-day work. A previous episode we did with um, James Franz, who um, works within the Toyota Way Academy, when he was trained by Toyota in Japan, he said to me that they didn't call it continuous improvement or lean. They just called it the work because it was the work. It's just the way they did it. It didn't have a special name or a special different way of doing things. It was just the way they worked. And I think that's such a great message. Mm, Yeah, I totally agree. I I mean, the other times I've seen OEE used because you one of the factors is quality in there to get it to get it all out on the table. It's availability is multiplied by the performance of the machine multiplied by the quality of it to give you a, a total percentage. If the quality, for example, might be something you don't get until further down the process, it might not actually show up. So it can have impacts much further downstream as well. But un, unless everybody understands the nuances and the detail behind each of those individual ones, the grand total number, which is kind of a bit of an abstract. Um, for the rest of us gives a lot of problems Emily did you want to add something to that yeah I I just wanted to add that the bit about calling it the work is really interesting so one of the things that you find in the service industry is that people are sort of slightly divorced from what the work is if they're not directly on the front line it's not like manufacturing where you can go in and you can feel it and touch it you know it's um it's something I struggled with quite a bit when I when I moved from manufacturing into the service industry is that everything's just in people's computers and it's hard for people to see the work as widgets that are moving through a process so a lot of actually the education and that you have to do with the service industry is to get them to even think of their work as a process. So you're handing stuff from one team to the next team and, and it's going through a series of process steps. But people don't see it that way. They just see it as I get something on my desk and I do some stuff to it and I give it to somebody else. Um, and they don't necessarily see the bigger picture. And that can be, and, and because of the way a lot of companies are siloed and fragmented, the work can be moving through a value chain that goes through sort of five different directors, five completely different sets of targets it's all completely unrelated to each other and that that value stream bit is really difficult for people to see so I really like that bit about you know it's we're thinking about it as the work because quite often in the service industry people don't see it in, in that way as something that, that's flowing through so that's quite a big challenge that that um, we have in that kind of environment. 
That's really interesting. How do you get people to visualise it then? Do you, do you process map it with them so they can see it as a process? Yes, um, but even that people find sort of difficult because they see it as a series of things that they do and it's hard to get people to see it as what the work is doing, if that, if that makes sense. It's sort of that slightly yeah. different mindset. Stuff like process stapling is brilliant and Kanban. So I love, I, I think everyone should run their entire lives on Kanban. Um, one of the places we, we worked, we, we actually put the whole customer process through Kanban Kanban and you could like zoom out and see the entire kind of end-to-end process and where the work was sitting and it was really visual so I think Kanban's got a lot more uses than at the moment it seems to have somehow got hedged into this IT development world but actually there's way more uses that you can put it to I think that's a really good like visualization tool personally Give us a brief description of what Kanban is, Emily. Oh, yes. Uh, well, so there's it, a slightly different context in manufacturing, I think. But um, but in the service industry, it's it's basically you have tickets that move through a series of steps. And so it's used a lot in software development, but you, you essentially almost visualize your process. So you would have work comes in, team A, team B, team C, team D, and you move the tickets along through the different teams so you can see where the work's sitting and it helps you as well you can limit the amount of work in progress that you push that, that gets pushed into any one uh, any one team's um, kind of bucket if you like so it gives it starts allowing you to develop much more of a flow system so rather than everyone just doing their work and pushing it down the line you can visually see actually the next team's already got four things in their queue I'm not going to put more in there I'm going to go and help ho- hopefully in a multi-skilled world I'm going to go and help them do their bit and that way you keep a much more regular flow of work going so yeah, it's a, it's a way of kind of visualising the work through a series of steps on a, on a nice visual board. I don't, know, I don't know if I've explained that very well, but... Uh... You did very well. I always think Kanban is, is one of those tools where you when you look at it, you think, why have we never done this before? Because it's yeah, just so it's obvious, just, isn't it? It's so obvious, but trying to get people to use it is really hard. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> So, Emily, tell us a little bit about the BQF then, because this is a fantastic organisation that I've uh, worked, obviously, with you over the last few weeks and the month or so uh, around your association with the podcast yeah. as well. So tell us a little bit about it. It's, it's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so um, I came first came into contact with the BQF when I worked at BT. Um, I then sort of went through various uh, organisations and I, uh, I went to Costa and I brought them into Costa. So I've been sort of a customer of BQF myself quite a while. The, the pandemic hit. I, I was in full-time employment. It was quite a, a high-stress job um, during COVID, and I've got three kids. And the BQF really offered me a lifeline because I, I went and worked. Uh, I left my full-time job and went and worked for them part-time, and I've really built up kind of my time and, and career with them now, um, and I absolutely love it. But what what the BQF is essentially is a it's we're a networking organisation, and we're we're a not-for-profit, and what we are aiming to do is to help people, organisations be better. If that makes sense, it's very broad um, but we work a lot with continuous improvements uh, transformation professionals operational excellence those sides of things we we're starting to work more with sort of the environmental departments in in teams as well and L&D teams but we do an awful lot of networking events so we will work with we'll match people up from different organizations that might be having problems we do a mentoring program where people can mentor each other across different organizations so it, it can be really lonely being in a CI type role because you're the the lone 
nut that's standing in the corner doing a weird dance and yes, yes. so we're, we're trying to <laughs> we're trying to create a community yeah and and so we do that through a range of things so we have things like all, all our member co- we have memberships and and anyone in the organization can participate in our member benefits we also run a lot of events uh, both for our members and we do some free stuff as well so we'll get speakers on we've got a deal with bloomsbury where they bring on some of their authors who, who come and talk about their latest business books which are brilliant and we run workshops as well so you know things like um i'm doing a workshop in a few weeks time around what to measure so what's a good measure look like just so it's some sort of things that that companies can tap into and use to enhance some of their other training programs we've then also got uh, our big awards with our, our flagship i mentioned at the start that's what we're working on at the moment but that's the flagship, the flagship event <laughs> um, it's it's very exciting it's it's uh yes we'd like to think of it as one of those big glitzy stores on oxford street except virtual <laughs> but, uh, yeah so, so semi-virtual but uh, yes we have a big a big shindig um uh, in october this year and uh, we have about 17 categories and it's all trying to recognize people who are doing brilliant things and and this year's our 30th year so we're really trying to do a push as well on accessing people who wouldn't normally be able to have access to things like this so we're doing a big charity award and an award for individuals who are doing things for their community as well so we're really trying to give as well as having our members we're trying to give back to the community in general and yeah it's it's brilliant so I, I i do it because i absolutely love this job so it's uh, yeah I, I really believe in, in bqf it's worth noting as well, actually, that you don't have to be a member to enter the awards, do you? No, 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 not at all. Yeah, it's distinct from the from the membership. And the other bit we do is professional development. So we have our own body of knowledge for Six Sigma, uh, for Lean. Um, we've recently acquired a, a mental health partner. So we also do a mental health certification. And we, we have a range of qualifications that, that people can come and get through us as well. So again, it's all about that creating a community and a profession and, and a group of people who kind of know each other can tap into each other support each other and get recognition from us as well it's absolutely amazing and and i love my association with you i think it's a a wonderful project and a wonderful team of people as well the feelings mutual matt (laughs) oh thank you so where can people go to enter the awards or learn more about the bqf yes we have a website bqf.org.uk and on there we've got all all our events calendar so as i said we do run um a few free things as well and quite often if it's a a new uh, a new um person that we've not worked with before we do allow them to to sneak on some events for free before before they've got membership to have a little taster and then the awards we've got the awards section in there the deadline is coming up so it's 31st of March for for the awards entries and we've got a LinkedIn page which is really active as well so so you can follow us on there we're always happy to talk to people so even if you don't want to become a member or don't necessarily want to enter an award we're always happy to help and and support people as well because we know that it can be a lonely role Definitely. I think we've all experienced that lone wolf in the corner trying to make things change and no one else wants to. (laughs) And and excitingly, we can probably announce now that we're going to be doing a episode of the Eversilene podcast from that awards ceremony where we will be interviewing the winners of the categories, which will be so cool. Yes, it's going to be really exciting. So we're really looking forward to that as well. Yeah, it's, it's going to be lovely to have you there and uh, going around and, and doing a little bit of roving reporting. So that's that's going to be really exciting. It'll be good fun. I have to get dressed up. <laughs> you do. You have to wear a tux. <laughs> oh, very posh. <laughs> as you mentioned, our patron is um, HRH and we're, we're always hopeful that she's going to be joining us. We obviously, we don't know until quite la- late on in the process. But yeah, it's always just a, a brilliant event she joined us last time so it is fairly formal i think it's fair to say 
Right, shall we have some fun? Shall we get stuck into a bit of yes-no game? I like to think I'm going to be quite good at this, but I don't want to be overconfident. <laughs> I'll probably fail at the first time. No, don't, don't brag. <laughs> don't brag. So the way this works is I've got loads of questions lined up and you will have 60 seconds on the clock and you need to answer these questions, but without saying yes or no. Sounds really easy. It's actually a nightmare. <laughs> uh, but are both of you going to have a go? Are you going to have a go at this as well, Richard? Yeah, how do you want to do it? Are we Are going to take it in turns? We will take it in turns. I'm going to play you off against each other Ooh. with the grand prize of your self-pride. Okay, <laughs> Mailed in the post. First class tomorrow. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Richard, do you fancy giving it a go, setting the bar? Go on then. I'll have a go. 60 seconds on the clock, Richard. Do not say yes or no. It's as easy as that. Have you ever gone skydiving? Never have, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's the bar. I was worried I'd run out of questions. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Good fun. Emily, let's see if you can do any better. Okay. Right, I've loaded 60 seconds back on the clock. Do not say yes or no. Don't do it, Richard. <laughs> Do you like to sing? I love to sing. And one of the reasons I like working in a factory is because you could sing really loudly and no one could hear you. Good point. What is your favourite memory from a child? My child or someone else's child? <laughs> your child. <laughs> I'll leave it there. <laughs> Have you ever gone to a circus? I have been to several circuses. Uh, I love Cirque du Soleil. What is your dream job? This is my my this is my dream job. <laughs> Good. Do you prefer tea or coffee? Coffee every single day of the week. You sure? Yes, I have tea is Oh, Emily, you were so close to the 60 seconds. What did I say not? Are we not allowed to say not? You said yes. Oh, you said did I? You said yes. Oh, so close. Man. Unbelievable. So close. I don't remember saying it. It's really hard though, isn't it? <laughs> so I think it's such a challenge. I literally can't remember saying it. No. <laughs> you make me doubt myself now. I'll have to have oh, listen back. No, no. <laughs> if you didn't, I'll keep it going. <laughs> no, I'm sure I did. So what's coming up next then? Richard, what's going on in your world? Um, well, for the first time uh, in a long time, I've not been at work. Um, I took a few months off because I'd got a poorly relative that needed looking after. That's all resolved now. So I'm now actually looking for something. Got a few that look uh, quite hopeful and some very interesting things out there. And I'm, I'm really happy to report that manufacturing in the UK seems to be going pretty well, actually. Um, in spite of what you might see on the, on the news at night, it actually seems to be doing very well. And the places I'm looking at are all growing. So I'm really looking forward to, to being back at it again and, and, and causing chaos and changing and improving things. How exciting. So Richard's plug is Richard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if anybody's interested, <laughs> get in touch. <laughs> so people, I presume people can find you on LinkedIn if they want to offer you a job? Yeah, absolutely can. Yeah, it's, it's there. And uh, and I'm, I'm look, really looking forward to getting back into, into doing a few things. Um, they need to hurry up because it, it looks like there's a few things going on. So fingers crossed. Sometimes it's nice to have the break, isn't it? It's nice to clear the mind and then go again. Yeah, I think it has been. So there are positives from it, for sure. And it, and I think there is, although I love all that we've been talking about, you have to look after the family as well. That's, that's one of the important things. And that's one of the, that's one of the reasons we do what we do, is because you're trying to make things better for people. So 
Absolutely. You don't live to work. You work to live. That's what I always say. Uh, well, thanks for joining us today. Emily, what's going on in your world? Obviously, the awards. Obviously, the awards. Yes. Uh, so we're really, I, I think we're, we've been, this year has just been incredible in terms of uh, kind of growth for BQF. So in, in terms of memberships, we've got loads of new memberships coming in, the massive buzz around the awards. And so it's just been really exciting. So I'm just really, um, I, I think the world is a little bit our oyster and I'm really excited to see what kind of how we develop and, and keep growing BQF and, and how we sort of strengthen some of the existing things that we offer, but how we keep adding to that as well, because our members are always coming up with new ideas of things that they would like. And it's um, we've sort of got the capacity now to start developing some of those, which is really exciting. Yeah. Give us that website again. What was it? <laughs> www.bqf.org.uk. There you go. That's where it's all happening. So check it out. They're a wonderful organisation and well worth a peek. Um, everyone's on their computer or their phone all the time, so there's no excuse not to do it. Some key learnings then from today's discussion with Richard and Emily. Senior stakeholder engagement is so important to a continuous improvement culture. And the buzzword there is culture, not program. So some of the things I picked up from our experts were quick wins. Those quick wins, that low-hanging fruit, those really quick things to do will earn you trust with senior leaders. And if you can earn their trust and get their belief in what you're trying to create, that belief in the continuous improvement culture, you're 99% of the way there because from small acorns, mighty oaks grow. It's a really good saying and it's so true. Another thing I picked up, I think Emily mentioned it, is don't expand too fast. It's really tempting to run at a thousand miles an hour, but sometimes it's better to go a little bit slower, really get those foundations right. And on that foundation, that strong foundation, you can build some really great work some great skyscrapers if you like it's a really good way of doing it focus on the culture not the program uh, and a, a really good way of doing that that came up in today's discussion was to build your reporting around business kpis which breed the culture don't focus on lean kpis or continuous improvement KPIs. Don't make them stand alone and individual. Focus on business KPIs and use lean and continuous improvement to drive those metrics. That way it becomes part of the culture. And then lastly, I think building CI into the fabric of how we do things is so important. And we've touched on it on previous episodes, but making it not an extra thing to do on top of your work, continuous improvement and lean ways of thinking is about how you do the work. So whether you work in manufacturing, whether you work in the service industry, like Emily and Richard were discussing today, it doesn't matter. Make it part of the work. Make it the way you do things. Everything is a process and every single process will have inefficiencies in there. Every single process will have opportunities for continuous improvement. Look for those. Look for those quick wins and you're well on your way to getting your senior stakeholders engaged in what you're trying to do. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Ever Celine podcast. Thank you so much to Richard and Emily for joining us today. It was fascinating to hear about why senior level commitment is important and some hints and tips of how to get that engagement um, and most of all, create a culture rather than a program. It was also great to hear about the BQF and what the BQF does and about the awards that are upcoming in October and how you can get involved in those. So make sure you check that out. If you like the sound of today's show and would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Ever Celine podcast at everceline.com we'll also find episodes that you might have missed also if you're on the socials search for the everceline podcast give us a follow and let me know of your lean efforts because i would love to hear them i really would thanks so much and i'll see you on the next episode and don't forget everceline you know it makes sense
The Everceline podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everceline.com to find out more. Oh,